Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Do you like your web history being seen and sold to advertisers? No? Me neither. Get ExpressVPN right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. In 1968, at the beginning of the Tet Lunar New Year, the Viet Cong violated a temporary ceasefire by launching a major invasion across South Vietnam. The offensive was a military catastrophe for the Viet Cong. It essentially defenestrated them as a serious fighting force in South Vietnam and ended with them retreating from all captured territory. The military loss, however, was not the real story. The real story was America's media. Walter Cronkite, America's most trusted news anchor, was in actuality a partisan leftist, but he masqueraded as an objective journalist. And so on receiving news of the Tet Offensive, Cronkite went on the air and proceeded to inform the American people that the war in Vietnam was being lost. He flew to Vietnam to investigate the situation himself. And upon his return, he said this. For it seems now more certain than ever that the bloody experience of Vietnam is to end in a stalemate. This summer's almost certain standoff will either end in real give-and-take negotiations or terrible escalation. And for every means we have to escalate, the enemy can match us. And that applies to invasion of the North, the use of nuclear weapons, or the mere commitment of 100 or 200 or 300,000 more American troops to the battle. And with each escalation, the world comes closer to the brink of cosmic disaster. The Vietnam War wasn't primarily lost on the battlefield. It was lost in the hearts and minds of the American people, and it was lost in large part because of the American news media. The American news media has rarely covered itself in glory covering foreign policy. The New York Times famously covered for Stalin's Holodomor, his starvation of millions of his own citizens in Ukraine, deploying corrupt and venal Walter Durante to cover for the evil dictator. The New York Times largely backpaged the Holocaust itself. The world's most evil regimes have routinely relied on America's media to provide them cover. And today is no different. Hamas is an evil genocidal terrorist group, yet they receive widespread sympathy because the media create that sympathy. They do so through a variety of methods. First, and most obviously, they draw moral equivalence between Hamas, which targets civilians for death, both Israeli and its own, and Israel, which seeks to avoid killing civilians when it targets members of Hamas. Take, for example, Wolf Blitzer's questioning of an IDF commander yesterday after Israel hit a Hamas command tunnel network in Jabalaya, a major city in the Gaza Strip, often characterized by the media as a refugee camp. Here's Blitzer. But even if that uh, uh, Hamas commander was there amidst all those Palestinian refugees who are in that, in that Jabalaya refugee camp, Israel still went ahead and, and dropped a bomb there attempting to kill this Hamas uh, this Hamas, Hamas commander, knowing that a lot of innocent civilians, men, women, and children, presumably would be killed. Is that what I'm hearing? That's not what you're hearing, Wolf. We, again, were focused on this commander. Again, who, you'll get more data who this man was. He killed many, many Israelis. But you know that there are a lot of refugees, a lot of innocent civilians, men, women, and children in that refugee camp as well, right? This is the tragedy of war, Wolf. I mean, we, as you know, we've been saying for days, move south. Civilians that are not involved with Hamas, please move south. Yeah, uh, I'm just uh, trying to get we, a little bit more information. Uh, you knew there were civilians there. You knew there were refugees, all sorts of refugees. But you decided to still drop a bomb on that refugee camp attempting to kill the Hamas commander. That's Blitzer repeatedly blaming Israel for the fact that Hamas deliberately hides beneath civilian areas and then calling on Israel to effectively preemptively surrender in order to avoid civilian casualties. If this were truly a civilian sensor alone, massive tunnel craters simply wouldn't be there. The ground actually collapsed after the bombs hit. The craters are there, 
So are the dead fighters. But according to Wolf Blitzer and CNN, Israel's legitimate military actions are apparently morally equivalent to Hamas's slaughter of babies in their cribs. This, of course, follows hard on The New York Times accepting the word of Hamas about military strikes and casualties, resulting in a major blood libel in which the entire legacy media parroted that Israel had struck a hospital killing 500 people. In reality, a misfired Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket hit a parking lot near the hospital. Too late. The damage was done because this is how it works at the media. We'll get to the next way that the media undermine the case in favor of morality and stand up for the world's worst people in just one second. First, with all this turmoil in the world, with the economy on tenterhooks, with with it seeming as though everything is chaotic, you might want to diversify into something that has never been worth zero. You might want to diversify into precious metals the same way that I do. We keep on spending and spending and spending and spending. And Joe Biden's going to keep spending and spending. The devaluation of the dollar is coming. Everyone knows this. We have $34, $35 trillion in national debt. Protect your savings today by diversifying into gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. Here's the best part. When you open an IRA with Birch Gold, for every $10,000 you spend by December 22nd, Birch Gold will send you a free gold bar. Just text Ben to 989898 to claim eligibility before Black Friday. Birch Gold can even help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold without taking any money out of pocket. And you still get those free gold bars with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of satisfied customers. You can count on Birch Gold to help you transition existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. Don't let your savings fall victim to the further devaluation of the dollar. Text Ben to 989898. Receive that free info kit on gold. Claim your eligibility before Black Friday. Receive free gold bars on your qualifying purchase. That's Ben to 989898. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, we all know the first thing we do when we get home from work is change out of those work clothes and jump into loungewear. Well, luckily for me, I have Tommy John to come home to as I slip into my Tommy John loungewear set. I'm immediately enveloped in a cocoon of supreme softness and unparalleled comfort. Not only is their loungewear cozy enough to use as sleepwear, well, if I have to walk to the park with my kids, I don't look like a schlub. And guys, you might be wondering how these things can get any better. Their underwear is the best. I've been talking about this for years. If you haven't tried them, you're missing out. I took all the other underwear I had. I threw them out. I only wear Tommy John's. Tommy John's stylish and soft second skin underwear has dozens of comfort innovations, like a supportable contour pouch, a breathable light wick, moisture wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. Plus, Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee protects your most valuable assets. So what exactly are you waiting for? Try Tommy John today. You can thank me later. For silky soft comfort with sophisticated style, check out Tommy John's luxurious second skin limited edition colors right now at tommyjohn.com slash Ben. They're going fast, so hurry to tommyjohn.com slash Ben. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, let's be real. French fries, they're the only good vegetable. But... Unfortunately, they're not healthy. They're bad for you. Well, balance of nature, fruits and veggies are the most convenient way to get whole food ingredients every day, like the actual vegetables that they count toward you know, what you should be eating. Balance of nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and veggies into whole food supplements without sacrificing those natural antioxidants. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in balance of nature's fruit and veggie capsules are, you know, like the fruits and the veggies. Right now, my listeners can get 35% off their first order and they'll also get a free fiber and spice supplement. Balance of Nature's fiber and spice supplement is a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. I'm flying pretty much constantly for the last few months. Gotta tell you, I really rely on Balance of Nature. There's never been an easier way to make sure you're getting your daily dose of fruits and veggies. Experience Balance of Nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, get a free bottle of fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code Shapiro for 35% off that first preferred order. Plus, that free bottle of fiber and spice. 
So the first strategy is the moral equivalent strategy. It is the easiest strategy the media love, the moral equivalent strategy, because it allows them to pretend that Western countries targeting bad guys are the same as the bad guys. We see this all the time. Then there is the second media strategy, misdirection. Comedian Norm Macdonald tweeted in December 2016, quote, what terrifies me is if ISIS were to detonate a nuclear device and kill 50 million Americans. Imagine the backlash against peaceful Muslims. McDonald's joke is actually the media's strategy for moral equivalence. As anti-Semitism rises around the globe, as millions of radical Muslims, including in the West, march in favor of Hamas, the media are treating Muslims all over the world as a victim group. Thus, the New York Times ran an op-ed today in the midst of the widest global increase in anti-Semitism of my lifetime, decrying the supposed rise in Islamophobia. The author was one Rosina Ali, quote, a journalist who covers war, Islamophobia, and the Middle East. Her article explained, quote, for those who experienced waves of harassment and government surveillance in the years after September 11th, the president's pledge of unwavering support for Israel set off alarm bells. Yes, according to this New York Times columnist, supporting Israel is cover for Islamophobia. She also insists that, quote, from college campuses to places of work, people are facing retribution for expressing support for Palestinians that is being misconstrued as anti-Israel or pro-Hamas. That is a lie, given that protests against Israel began even before Israeli counterstrikes. And these protests routinely feature chants for the destruction of the state of Israel. They're not exactly hiding the message. As for Ali herself, her Twitter feed shows that on October 7th, the date of Hamas's massacre, she didn't tweet at all. But she did retweet a post complaining that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was telling civilians to leave potential war zones in anticipation of military action. In fact, Ali has posted precisely zero times decrying Hamas's brutality. But she did find time to retweet posts calling Israel's actions in Gaza a genocide. Finally, there's the third media strategy, pretending that anti-Semitism isn't a major problem. It's actually just a side effect of political contentiousness, which means in the end, it's really springing from the cycle of violence, which means in the end, it's really springing from Israeli policy, which means in the end, it's really coming from the Jews. The media are in the business of downplaying Muslim and left-wing anti-Semitism, treating it as mere opposition to Israeli policy, the policy in this case being, you know, Israel surviving, or as a ruse. Today's example comes courtesy of the New York Times. So pro-Israel and pro-Jewish activists around the nation have been putting up posters of men, women, and children kidnapped by Hamas. And anti-Semites have been ripping down those posters. Here's a video from just yesterday. These guys are putting up posters down. These are innocent civilians in Israel. You Israel. What? These are our members. We have family there. You in Israel. Don't rip down these posters. Yeah, that's right. What they're saying is F you, F Israel as they rip down the posters. And it's happening all over the country. Dozens and dozens of cases every single day of people going around and ripping down posters of kidnapped children because they hate Jews. I mean, that's why that's happening. Here's another, here's another example. Huh? Why'd you tear that flyer down? Oh, I was just looking at it closer. Mm-hmm. How, well, how is this propaganda where they not kidnapped? Why are you why are you tearing that down? I just have to put up more. Okay, then go ahead. Well, I'd like it back. Sorry. Why do you feel like that's acceptable? These people are kidnapped. Excuse me. I put that flyer up. I would like it back. She's crumbling it up and ripping it up. Why, why do you think this is acceptable? These people are kidnapped. You know, this guy's not even Israeli. He's Thai. Yeah, that's great. Why is that great? 
Why do you think it's acceptable to tear down missing posters of kidnapped people? Well, the people who are supposedly pro-Palestinian but not pro-Hamas, they're making it very difficult to make that case when they're ripping down posters of people kidnapped by Hamas. Again, by the way, it should be pointed out here that zero of the pro-Palestinian protests that are supposedly also not pro-Hamas have called for Hamas to surrender. Zero, as in none, as in you can't find anyone who's doing that. So this is all pretty clear evidence of widespread anti-Semitism. No? Well, not according to the New York Times. Here's how the New York Times is reporting all of this. Quote, displaying the posters has become a form of activism, keeping the more than 200 hostages seized by Hamas in full view of the public. But removing the posters has quickly emerged as its own form of protest, a release valve, and also a provocation by those anguished by what they say was the Israeli government's mistreatment of Palestinians in the years before October 7th. And since the bombing of Gaza began, uh, here you get not only the third strategy, but the first strategy. You get the third strategy, which is to pretend that anti-Semitism doesn't exist, and the first strategy, which is moral equivalence, because obviously Israel targeting terrorists and accidentally hitting civilians is the same as Hamas kidnapping small babies and keeping them in tunnels. But the New York Times has more. Quote, the battle has inflamed already tense emotions and it captures one of the most fervently debated questions of the war. Whose suffering should command public attention and sympathy? In fact, the motivations of those removing signs takes a variety of forms. And as unnerving as the removal of the posters has been for some Jews and supporters of Israel, at least some of the people tearing down the posters are Jewish themselves. So there's the New York Times downplaying people, literally ripping down posters of kidnapped babies and pretending that it's just another form of protest. It's all equivalent. Now, by the way, this is the same New York Times that was out there ripping on people, destroying their lives for not posting the Black Lives Matter square or the obligatory lawn sign saying Black Lives Matter. Here's the Daily Dot playing the same exact game. Quote, some are wondering if the posters are being strategically placed to entrap those who tear them down, many of whom support the Palestinian people. Yes, you see, those posters have short skirts. That's why they're being torn down. Those pesky Jews and their posters in sympathy with kidnapped victims being held by a genocidal terror group. Entrapment. The real bad guys, the Jews. The anti-Semitism isn't real. The Jews are causing it by putting up pieces of paper with the faces of babies that have been kidnapped by an evil terrorist group and will likely die in tunnels never seeing their first birthday. That's the Jews' fault, guys. The anti-Semitism of ripping that stuff down, it's because the Jews are being provocative. They need to stop being Jews. I mean, all that they keep this breathing thing is annoying. Hamas and its allies are relying utterly on the legacy media, both in America and in Europe, to cover for them and to provide political pressure on politicians to cut their support to Israel in the midst of their war with Hamas. That's precisely why Hamas is planting civilians in harm's way to maximize casualties for the cameras to blame Israel. Hamas would not do that if the media were not playing along. The media's responsibility for the current conflict is massive. The media have consistently and repeatedly pretended that Hamas terror is the same as legitimate military response, thus incentivizing the terror for the cameras. The media have repeatedly and consistently suggested that if Israel hits civilians while attempting to kill terrorists, this is the equivalent of what Hamas does, thus incentivizing creating the full incentive for Hamas to get as many civilians killed as possible. Hamas admits this stuff on camera. And so what do the media do? They just ignore it. They pretend it doesn't exist. The media play along with pretty much every bad regime on the planet. We have to ask why. The answer is that the legacy media is salted with members of an international left dedicated to the proposition that the West, Israel included, is itself fatally flawed and colonialist. All the college radicals we were supposed to ignore, they were going to grow up, they were going to pay taxes, get jobs. Well, they did grow up and they went into journalism. These media outlets hire local partisan activists to freelance for them, including Hitler supporters, anti-Semites, to cover the Gaza Strip. 
These media outlets see their mission as the restoration of justice in the universe. Justice, of course, meaning the destruction of the West power in the name of the supposedly oppressed of the earth. If the legacy media get their way, the West will fall into disarray. And so far, they are succeeding admirably. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, let's talk about sleep quality. So poor sleep quality, as we know, can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, lower productivity. Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health and performance. Having a consistent nighttime routine is non-negotiable. If you're struggling with sleep, you should probably check out Beam. Beam's top-selling Beam Dream has a new formula. Dream contains a powerful all-natural blend of reishi magnesium, L-theanine, and epigenin to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, start or froth, and enjoy before bedtime. Today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their best-selling healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious flavors like cinnamon cocoa, chocolate peanut butter, and mint chip. Better sleep has never tasted better. They sent a bunch of their product down to the office. Our team has been loving it. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Ben. Use code Ben at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash Ben. Use code Ben for up to 40% off shopbeam.com slash Ben. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values. And that when people say free, they should mean, you know, actually free. When you switch to Pure Talk today, you will get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. No four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last, rugged screen, quick charging battery, top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family will save almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Switch to my cell phone company. I've been using Pure Talk for years at this point. I can tell you that coverage is excellent. I trust them. You can too. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and switch to my cell phone company today. puretalk.com slash Shapiro. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, you may have noticed we're experiencing a ton of global instability as primary season continues. How are you protecting your family in the midst of all of this chaos and nonsense? The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, war, political and economic upheaval dating all the way back to biblical times. That, of course, would be gold. It's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold can help you create a well-thought-out, balanced investment strategy. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold without paying a penny out of pocket. Diversify into gold today. Just text Ben to 989898 for a free info kit. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to check out Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898. Claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Smart investors diversify. And when you look at the pace of inflation over the past several years, you can see financial instability is the new way of the world. Text Ben to 989898 to get started with Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898 and talk to my friends over at Birch Gold. Okay, so on the international front, the battle in the media is a major part of what is going on because on the ground, Israel is winning. Last night, as mentioned, Israel struck a series of tunnel complexes under the Jabalia quote-unquote refugee camp. I'm saying quote-unquote because it's actually just a city. People are calling areas in the Gaza Strip refugee camps as though these people are going to be imported into Haifa or something. There are giant buildings that have been there since 1948 and before. So many of the quote-unquote refugee camps that you're seeing are actually just cities. And calling them refugee camps is a way of weaponizing them against the future of the state of Israel. That's part of the goal. But Israel did strike a bunch of tunnel complexes. They've killed an enormous number 
of members of Hamas's leadership. They're penetrating deep into the Gaza Strip, particularly in the northern portion of the Gaza Strip. And so that's creating desperation on the part of Hamas, which you are seeing in them now attempting to say that they're going to release some passport holders. American passport holders were being held up by Hamas in the Gaza Strip. They're not being allowed to leave via the Rafah crossing. Apparently, Hamas is now thinking about maybe allowing that to happen because they're trying to create some sort of sentiment that they're not all that bad. I mean, they are releasing people with dual passports. You'll see Hamas in future weeks, I would assume, say the same about dual passport holders among the hostages that they are currently holding in an attempt to buy off America, for example. You may see them take some people with dual nationality, Israeli-American nationality, and release some of those people in an attempt to buy off the Americans, which, of course, is a sickness of its own because now you have Nazi-type selection in which if you have the right passport, you go to the right and live. And if you have the wrong passport, you go to the left and you die in the tunnels with these evil, these evil monsters. So what Hamas is relying upon is that the international community will stop Israel from finishing them off. That's what they're relying upon right now, because on the ground, Israel is, in fact, winning, which is why you are seeing ancillary groups like the Houthis suddenly decide to get in. All of these groups are being run by Hamas. Yesterday, the Yemen Houthi rebels entered the war with Israel after it launched drones and missiles at the south of the country earlier today. All that stuff was shot down. The Houthis are part of the Iranian axis of resistance. It must be noted at this point that the Iranian Houthis were a State Department labeled terrorist group under the Trump administration. One of the first moves of the Biden administration was to remove the Houthis from the terror list, despite their charming slogan, death to the Jews, death to America. So now they've decided that they are going to enter the war. Now, do they have the projective power to seriously impact Israel? The answer is no. Israel is sending some naval assets into the region to shoot down anything that the Houthis decide to fire. But this is essentially... Iran trying to threaten everyone from every border without losing important pieces of the pie. So right now, Iran has proxies everywhere. The the proxies act as their offensive military mechanism. Iran does not have the actual projective capacity from its own country to destroy Israel outright. So instead, it uses proxy groups like Hamas, like Hezbollah. Hezbollah has so far stayed out. The reason that Hezbollah has not gotten in full scale is because my, my theory of this entire conflict is that this was generated by Iran in order to stave off the Saudi peace process. I think everybody who understands geopolitics understands that this is what's happening right now. And the reason is because that process has been working amazingly well. The Abraham Accords are holding. Ali Al-Noimi, who's the head of foreign affairs and defense committee in the UAE parliament, said, quote, from the UAE perspective, the Abraham Accords are here to stay. We want everyone to acknowledge and accept that Israel is there to exist. That is, that's a strong statement. Okay, so The Iranians were afraid that they would be boxed in. They were afraid that a Saudi, Egyptian, Jordanian, UAE alliance, that this would effectively create a massive counterbalance boxing them in in the Middle East. And so the Iranians struck out using Hamas. Now, my guess is that they didn't think Hamas was going to succeed in this terror attack as far as it did. They probably believed that Israel's wall was going to hold, that the this is not the first time that people have tried to breach the wall. They probably figured that they would attack with 1,500, 2,000 terrorists Pretty much all of them would be killed, but they would end up killing a couple of hundred Israeli civilians and kidnapping 10 or 20 of them. And this would be enough to create a serious Israeli military response, but not enough that the world would actually be okay with allowing Israel to do that sort of thing. And so it drives Saudi off the ball in terms of creating a peace deal with the Israelis. That was probably their original intent. And then it turns out that Hamas succeeded beyond its wildest imaginings. They ended up killing 1,500 people inside Israel and kidnapping over 200 people. They GoPro'd it. They videoed it. They couldn't. They couldn't help themselves because this is how much they hate Jews. And so Iran, I think, feels a little bit like the dog that caught the car. Hamas is about to get taken off the board. Hamas was one of their knights on the chessboard. Hamas is about to get completely destroyed and eviscerated as well it should be. And 
the, the, the last thing they want is probably Hezbollah, which is a significantly more powerful piece on the board. It's like a rook. They don't want that being taken out by the Israelis as well. So instead, they're sort of prodding around the edges. But all of this, again, is the result of the success of Israel's military activities right now. Meanwhile, Egypt is saying that it is not going to take in anyone, anyone from the Gaza Strip. In fact, which, by the way, this should be an indicator of just how dangerous Egypt perceived the people in the Gaza Strip to be to their country in terms of how many of them are supportive of Hamas. That's Egypt's perspective, not Israel's, Egypt. Mustafa Madbouli, who's the country's prime minister, said, quote, we are prepared to sacrifice millions of lives to ensure that no one encroaches upon our territory. He said Egypt would never allow imposed solutions or the settlement of regional issues at its expense. So that is the current situation in the Middle East. The only way, literally the only way that Hamas can win and survive is with the help of a media pushing the West's political leaders into a position of weakness. That is their goal. And they may get what they want. I'll explain in just one second first. If you run a small business, you need to plan ahead. One of the best ways to do that is by using Stamps.com for all your mailing and shipping needs. Stamps.com lets you print your own postage and shipping labels right from your home or office space. It's incredibly convenient. Your shipping labels, they're ready to go in just minutes so you can get back to running your business sooner. We don't waste time here at The Daily Wire. We've used Stamps.com since 2017. Our office management staff loves Stamps.com because they don't have to spend hours at the post office anymore. Again, we at The Daily Wire have been using Stamps.com for years. It saves us time and it saves us money and it makes us more efficient. Stamps.com offers rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to 84% off USPS and UPS. Plus, they'll automatically tell you your cheapest and fastest shipping options. For 25 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable to over 1 million businesses. You can print postage wherever you do business. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. They even send you a free scale. So you'll have everything you need to get started. Set your business up for success. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code Shapiro for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and free digital scale. No long-term commitments, no contracts. Just go to Stamps.com. Click the microphone at the top of the page. Enter promo code Shapiro. Okay, so the media are doing their best to sow seeds of dissent, to create serious problems. One of the ways that they are doing this is also by suggesting that Joe Biden's low polling numbers are due to his support for Israel. Now, the evidence on that is incredibly scanty. The fact is that Joe Biden has really bad poll numbers because he's a really bad president. And so those poll numbers pre-exist his his support for Israel in this particular conflict. This is something that statistician Nate Silver has pointed out. He says that there, there's really no way to sort of correlate his success with regard to with regard to Israel with his electoral success. You're seeing a bunch of left-wing activists like Gideon Rackman who's a chief of foreign affairs commentator for the Financial Times, right? And Gaza is very bad news for Biden's reelect prospects. Young voters and progressives are a key part of the Democratic coalition. Many are furious about the administration's support for Israel. If they stay home or vote for Cornell West, Biden is in big trouble. So number one, none of them are voting for Cornell West. Cornell West is not going to get a lot of the vote. But as Nate Silver points out, there's been no change overall in Biden's approval rating since 10-7. Biden's policy is popular with parts of some Democrats and unpopular with others. Also, swing voters matter too. Americans are pretty supportive of Israel. That happens to be true. But again, the media are now creating pressure, particularly pro-Hamas members of the media are creating pressure on Biden by essentially suggesting that if he were to lose the election, it would be because he's too supportive of Israel, which is an amazing statement, considering that in the United States, supporting Israel over Hamas is like a 70-15 prospect in terms of the polling data. Naturally, John Zogby, who is a member of the, uh, of the pro-Palestinian caucus, he was commissioned by the Arab American Institute to poll Arab Americans just to show Joe Biden how angry they are. 
showing that just 17% would support the current president in the 2024 election. The poll surveyed Arab Americans across the country, including battleground states. Two-thirds of Arab Americans have a negative view of President Biden's response to the current violence in Palestine and Israel. Only 17% are ready to vote for him in 2024. But Biden is not the only candidate losing support. The majority is not claiming to prefer the Democratic Party. In 2008 and 2016, Democrats outnumbered Republicans two to one. In this poll, 32% of Arab Americans identified as Republican, compared to 23% who identified as Democrats. 59% of Arab Americans reported experiencing discrimination. 70%, 74% of Arab Americans aged 18 to 34 reported facing discrimination. So let's just point out here, we should point out here that this poll does not suggest that these people are going to swivel and, and vote for the most pro-Israel president in the history of the United States, Donald Trump, who's likely to be the Republican nominee, or Ron DeSantis, who, if anything, is even more pro-Israel than Donald Trump. But this is ginned up in order to put pressure on Biden to abandon Israel. And you're seeing the media do this over and over and over. So you have, a, you have an article from Politico suggesting former aides to Kamala Harris's 2020 presidential campaign are collecting signatures for a letter urging the vice president to, quote, seek an immediate ceasefire between Israel and Hamas, calling Israel's Gaza campaign a genocide. The draft letter, which was obtained by Politico, amounts to an attempt to dial up pressure on one of the Biden administration's most familiar faces. It encourages the vice president to support a ceasefire resolution introduced by Representative Cory Bush. The draft letter says, we must mourn the tragic loss of Israeli life targeted by Hamas. However, we must firmly and unequivocally reject the Israeli government's exploitation of these deaths. Exploitation of the deaths. That's what Israel's doing. They're exploiting the deaths to get rid of Hamas, despite the fact that, again, they literally surrendered the entire Gaza Strip to Hamas and left them in control for 18 years. 18 years Well, Hamas was firing rockets at them. But they're exploiting the tragedy in order to do what? Expend Israeli blood and treasure going back into an area they wish they had never seen? Like, this is amazing stuff. But again, the goal here is to generate dissent inside the Democratic Party. Same thing in the Wall Street Journal. Molly Ball, who's a left-wing reporter, the left is tearing itself apart over Israel. To many on the left, the Israel-Hamas war is spurring what feels like a permanent rupture where previously sublimated differences become impossible to ignore and everyone must choose sides. Both pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian advocates describe a feeling of disillusionment as relationships fracture and harsh words are exchanged. The result many predict could be a breach that splits Democrats for a generation with untold political consequences. The feeling is mutual. So they, she talks about how Jews are feeling like, you know, why are Black Lives Matter and Cori Bush and AOC suddenly pro-Hamas? The feeling is mutual for many activists on the left to say President Biden and other Democratic officeholders have blindly sided with a right-aligned Israeli government. By the way, right-aligned Israeli, it's a unity government. Benny Gantz is part of the government. Benny Gantz is not on the right. He was literally part of the coalition opposing Netanyahu. But it doesn't matter. The media don't know what the hell they're talking about as, as per our usual arrangement. If you are Arab American, Muslim American, or Palestinian, you feel like you don't matter. You feel invisible, said Walid Shahid, a progressive strategist and former spokesman for the Justice Democrats. That, of course, would be AOC's brand of the party. So, again, the goal here by many members of the media is to prop up the pro-Hamas wing of the Democratic Party so as to create a groundswell of dissent inside the Democratic Party, causing Joe Biden to turn away from what has been so far pretty solid support for Israel. And that, of course, is effectively what the AOC wing is there to do. That's what the AOC wing of the party, the Cory Bush wing of the party is there. Cory Bush, who's just a terrible human being, BLM congresswoman, she tweeted out yesterday, this is a direct tweet from her, quote, we can't be silenced about Israel's ethnic cleansing campaign. Ethnic cleansing, ethnic cleansing. Weird, because 
Again, you know, I always assumed that ethnic cleansing involved the ethnic cleansing of a population, not their multiplication from 1.2 million Arabs in 1948 to, you know, 7 million in 2023. Terrible job, ethnic cleansing, Israel. Also, I assume that if you were to pursue an ethnic cleansing campaign, typically what you don't do is tell all the civilians to get the hell out of the way while you bomb military targets. Israel has overwhelming air superiority. If Israel wanted to cause right now hundreds of thousands of deaths in the Gaza Strip, it has the military capacity to do so. Israel is not doing that because they don't want to do that. doesn't matter. Corey Bush is a terrible human being. Babies dead, pregnant women dead, elderly dead, generations of families dead, millions of people in Gaza with nowhere to go being slaughtered. Whoa, millions of people being slaughtered? Can you read a, can, honest to God, she's such a liar, she's such a terrible person and a liar. The U.S. must stop funding these atrocities against Palestinians. Again, the moral equivocation, it's amazing, it's unbelievable. And then Cori Bush, she was hit with the fact that she doesn't give a crap about Jews who are murdered by, by Hamas. And so she lies. She put out a tweet saying, this month, I co-sponsored a resolution condemning Hamas for hostage taking and urging their immediate release. We must ensure the safe return of hostages and the protection of Palestinian and Israeli civilians. That is a lie. Her resolution did not condemn Hamas at all. It did not call for the release of the hostages. She voted against the House resolution condemning Hamas. So she's just a liar. She's a liar. By the way, this is this is a, a fundamental truth that I think has been under under noticed by a huge percentage of the Western population for a very long time. For hardcore radical left-wingers, for radical Islamists, for fundamentalists of many stripes, it turns out the truth is not even a secondary priority. It's not even a tertiary priority. Truth does not matter at all. The means are completely justified by the ends. Lying is completely fine so long as you get what you want. Truth is of no value, of no value to so many people on the hard left. Corey Bush just being one case in point. AOC is another. AOC is a dis despicable human being. She tweeted yesterday. So APAC tweeted against Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Jamal Bowman, Summer Lee. These are all people who voted against a resolution supporting Israel against Hamas. AOC then tweeted, APAC endorsed scores of January 6th insurrectionists. They are no friend to American democracy. That is, that's insane. I'm sorry, that's insane. APAC is run almost entirely by former Democratic staffers. The top echelons of APAC, the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, is run by people who are left-wing politically. It's been a serious issue of contention between me personally and APAC, by the way. She says, they are one of the most racist and bigoted PACs in Congress as well, disproportionately targeting members of color. No, they literally just target people who are anti-Israel. That is, it's in the name, American Israel Public Affairs Committee. That's literally in the name of their organization. And if those members happen to be disproportionately people of color, well, why the hell does APAC have anything to do with that? And then she says, she says it's about APAC. I, I've yet to see her use this sort of extreme language with regard to honest to God terror groups. Quote, they are an extremist organization that destabilizes U.S. democracy. Like Al-Qaeda, an extremist organ, APAC, an extremist organization that destabilizes U.S. democracy. That is absolute AOC, oh God, is it dishonesty or stupidity or both? Now, for a long time, I've let her get away with the stupidity card. She's dishonest, anti-Semite, and she's a terrible person. Because at a certain point, I can't give you the benefit of the doubt that you're just a moron anymore. Or at least if you are a moron, I'm not going to let you use it as cover for the fact that clearly you are on the side of the Hamasniks. Clearly and obviously. And anybody who's, who's going to pretend this away because AOC can do dances on Instagram is, is truly an idiot, a fellow traveler idiot. In the media, we're also playing up protests against Anthony Blinken yesterday. 
Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, was testifying before Congress. And here's what he had to say about what he had seen Hamas do. A family of four, a young boy and girl, six and eight years old, and their parents around the breakfast table. The father, his eye gouged out in front of his kids. The mother's breast cut off. The girl's foot amputated. The boy's fingers cut off before they were executed. And then their executioners sat down and had a meal. That's what this society is dealing with. And no nation could tolerate that. And as we've said repeatedly, as President Biden has repeatedly made clear, Israel has not only the right, but the obligation to defend itself and to try to take every possible step to make sure this doesn't happen again. So he's testifying about that, and he's completely correct. What did the media focus on? They didn't focus on what Blinken actually had to say. What they focused on is protesters disrupting Blinken. Now, again, these protesters are garbage human beings and morons. What they're doing is they, they sat in the back of the room holding up their hands, stained red with ink to suggest that Tony Blinken has blood on his hands. Now, they wouldn't do this with regard to Hamas. And I just will point out here an odd and disturbing parallel. Here are all these people holding up their red hands to show that America has blood on its hands or whatever the hell that is. But uh, here's a little bit of the video. Collins, uh, distinguished members of the Appropriations Committee, thank you for this opportunity to testify before you today. Not in the face of an intensifying strategic competition in the Indo-Pacific and around the world. Permanently unemployable idiots at best. Evil, genocidal, anti-Semites at worst. It's despicable people. Anyway, there is an odd echo, uh, odd historical echo here. And the people holding up their red hands to the camera. Last time I saw hands that red, it's when there were, you know, actual members of the Palestinian Authority holding up their red hands after having butchered an Israeli soldier who mistakenly drove into Ramallah. I mean, it, it's, it's hard not to see that particular picture. Uh, that, that picture was, was pretty famous back in the day. By the way, this administration is now talking about giving the Palestinian Authority control over the Gaza Strip, which is the Palestinian Authority is literally paying the families of the terrorists who murdered people in the Gaza envelope. So that would just be kind of changing one horse for the same horse of a slightly different color. That's what the Biden administration is now talking about. Now, the question is, will the Biden administration go weak-kneed on all of this because of all of the press coverage and because of the supposed internal dissent, despite the fact that, again, the polling data in the United States suggests broad and wide support for Israel in this conflict. I talk about preborn a lot on this show. I believe in their mission. I know you do too. Who wouldn't want to help moms and their kids in crisis? Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the United States. They connect with women who are considering abortion, offer them a free ultrasound so they can hear their child's heartbeat. This divine connection has proven to double the probability that a mom will choose to carry her child to term. Every day, Preborn's network of clinics saves 200 babies' lives, but it doesn't stop there. They offer moms maternity clothes, doctor visits, and the support they need to raise a child after giving birth. It's an incredible organization. I am proud to stand behind. You can support Preborn right now with a gift of just 28 bucks. This will cover the cost of one free ultrasound and could save the life of an unborn child. It's the most important thing you're going to do today to donate. Just dial pound 250, say keyword baby, that's pound 250, baby, or donate securely at preborn.com slash Ben. Again, that's preborn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Preborn.com slash Ben. Start saving a life. Just takes $28. Preborn.com slash Ben. Also, 
Faith Moore, Andrew Clavin's talented daughter, has now written a new rendition of the age-old Christmas classic, A Christmas Carol, except it's with a, a K. It's a modern twist on the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, except with a female protagonist. In a world where boss babes are championed at the expense of family, Faith is making the case that having what matters is far better than having it all. A Christmas Carol, now available for pre-order. Order yours on Amazon or wherever you get your books today. Alrighty, so the big question is, will the Biden administration continue to have a spine? That is an open question. I don't know the answer. I'm not sure that they know the answer at this point. You're seeing some mixed signals at best. Tony Blinken so far has been pretty good, but you're starting to see the White House press secretary, who, again, is not a pro-Israel activist in any way, shape or form. Karim Jean-Pierre is from the Cory Bush wing of the Democratic Party. Here she was. She was asked if anti-Israel protesters are extremists. You know, the people chanting from the river to the sea, meaning like the extermination of Israel. And she's like, I don't know. I don't know. It, it is amazing how quiet she goes when it comes to left-wing anti-Semitic protesters. When it comes to morons in khaki pants marching in Charlottesville, that is the spur for an entire presidential campaign. But when it comes to hundreds of thousands of students around the world marching in coordination with Hamas slogans, then she's like, I don't know if they're extreme. Can we say that? So I don't know. Here she was having a tough time. Does President Biden think the anti-Israel protesters in this country are extremists? What I can say is what we've been very clear about this. When it comes to anti-Semitism, there is no place. We have to make sure that we speak against it very loud uh, and, be, uh, and be very clear about that. Remember, what the president decided to, when the president decided to run for president is what he saw in Charlottesville in 2017, when we, he saw uh, neo-Nazis marching down the streets of Charlottesville uh, with vile anti-Semitic uh, just hatred. And he was very clear then, and he's very clear now. Uh, he's taken actions against this over the past two years, and he's continued to be clear. There is no place, no place for this type of vile and despite, despite this, this kind of rhetoric. Okay, um, well, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Charlottesville. <laughs> I mean, how about campus radicals pulling down posters are extremists? How about people who are chanting from the river to sea are extremists? No? Well, she did have some words about Islamophobia. Now, I swear, the, the, the White House's attempts to equate what's going on with anti-Semitism in this country with Islamophobia are totally, they're, they're insane. They're, they're completely mad. Like these are two completely separate phenomena. The attempt to link the two of them is once again to create a moral equivalence and a cycle of violence rhetoric. The idea being that if you're pro-Israel, you must be Islamophobic. Well, whereas if you are pro-Palestinian, well, you're not anti-Semitic, even if you're chanting things like from the river to the sea. Here she was talking about the rise of Islam, supposed Islamophobia. What is your message this group of Americans and what efforts have you made at outreach to this group specifically? So a couple of things. Look, what I can say is this. The president uh, knows that Muslims and those perceived to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate number, uh, certainly of hate-fueled attacks, right, as we talk about what we're seeing here. Um, and so he also understands that many of our Muslim, Arab American, and Palestinian American loved ones and neighbors are worried about the hate being directed at their communities. And so leaders at every level of this administration will continue. We're going to continue to engage, engaging with the Muslim community, the Arab American community, and Palestinian American leaders to hear their concerns, right? And also uh, to hear their feedback on how best, uh, certainly, to combat uh, the discrimination, the hate and discrimination uh, that they're seeing as well. Again, the Norm Macdonald tweet just coming to life right here. By the way, I feel like I should just show you what the actual anti-Semitism versus Islamophobic stats look like in terms of, of reported hate crimes and such. According to the, the Anti-Defamation League, you know, not, not 
a place that I'm a huge fan of, but they're the best source for measuring this sort of stuff at this time. The ADL has recorded more than 1,200 anti-Semitic incidents in the United States through May 2023, and they have seen a 388% uptick in incidents after Hamas's attack on Israel. I just want to show you the scale here. This is how you can fool people with, with stats. This is what CNN is doing. So in 2013, there were just under 1,000 hate incidents reported against Jews in the United States. In 2022, there were almost 4,000. And in 2023, it's going to surpass that. In 2023, it's going to be higher than that. So you're talking about like a minimum of three, 4,000 hate crimes against Jews. Now you move over to um, Islam-linked hate crimes. Islam-linked hate crimes. This is how you lie with stats is by, by looking at the scale. Okay, in 2000, almost zero. In 2001, when this is supposedly like massive Islamophobia outbreak, we're all going, oh my God, it's just like 500. Okay, at no point does it even approach remotely what Jews go through in this country in terms of anti-Semitic hate incidents, largely from radical Muslims, by the way. And then that number stays well under 200, all the way up till 2014. It jumps to maybe 300 in 2016. It's still under 200. And so we're supposed to believe that, according to the ADL, the Jews who are experiencing literally 20 times the number of hate crimes that the that Muslims are, are experiencing in the United States. I should point out here that there are about 3.45 million Muslims living in the United States. There are about 6 million Jews living in the United States, somewhere thereabouts. So again, these are very small numbers in terms of the general American population. The, on a per capita basis, Jews are way more likely to be targeted. But of course, whenever there is something that targets Israel and Jews, we have to mention Islamophobia because the idea is that these are morally equivalent and it's just a cycle of violence and the Jews are the ones who are doing the Islamophobia, whatever, whatever the stupidity here is. Meanwhile, John Kirby, the national security spokesperson, he was asked whether they were classifying people as domestic terrorists for making violent anti-Semitic threats, given the fact that, you know, this administration focused in like, on like homeschooling moms who didn't like public school boards. Uh, here was Kirby. People in this country making violent anti-Semitic threats, are they domestic terrorists? I, I don't uh, know that we're classifying people as domestic terrorists for that. I mean, I, that's really a question better left to law enforcement. I'm, I'm not aware that there's been such a, uh, a characterization of that. Um. <sighs> Okay, so is that wavering? Kind of. Meanwhile, Alejandro Mayorkas is not firing, apparently, a pro-Hamas member of his of his staff. There's a Department of Homeland Security officer who uh, had criticized Israel. This person is Nejwa Ali, a Palestinian DHS employee. She made several posts referring to Israel as an apartheid occupation and calling for Palestinian freedom at the expense of an Israeli downfall. And uh, she tweeted hashtag free Palestine. She's currently on administrative leave. Josh Halley, senator from Missouri, sent a letter to Mayorkas calling for her termination. And um, Mayorkas suggested that he might not fire her. Here is Halley versus Mayorkas. Is this typical of, of people who work at DHS? This is an asylum and immigration officer who is posting these, frankly, pro-genocidal slogans and images on the day that Israelis are being slaughtered in their beds. What have you done about this? Four things I'd like to say to you. Number one, your question to suggest that it, that is emblematic of the men and women of the Department of Homeland Security is despicable. Number I'm sorry, what have you, this person works for the Department of Homeland Security. Have you fired her? That was one of four answers. Have you fired her? One. Have you fired her? Don't come to this hearing room 
when Israel has been invaded and Jewish students are barricaded in libraries in this country and cannot be escorted out because they are threatened for their lives, you have employees who are celebrating genocide and you are saying it's despicable for me to ask the question? Has she been fired? And the answer is she's been put on administrative leave, but not fired, but not fired. That That is the answer right there. So in terms of whether the West is caving, whether Joe Biden is going to cave because of the ongoing pressure from the media and from the far left of his flank. So again, some mixed signals. Joe Biden and Tony Blinken, they're pushing seriously for a lot of aid for Gaza. Now, here's the problem with that particular push. And that particular push is quite dangerous, given the fact that if you provide gas supplies into Gaza, Hamas takes all of it, like immediately. Who is actually administering all of that? And Blinken, the State Department, they still have yet to actually explain Who's going to actually hand out that stuff and make sure that civilians get it? They keep saying things like, oh, we'll make sure. And then they say, well, what, what if Hamas takes it? Like, well, then we'll be very angry. So, well, that, that's not an answer. So the, the focus right now on putting aid into, into Gaza, as opposed to what really should happen, which is temporary camps are set up in the Egyptian desert that are administered by the Egyptians, because at least the Egyptians aren't terrorists. So that the, the aid does not end up going to Hamas, that would be the actual solution. But Egypt has not been particularly forthcoming on that particular matter. The focus on, on aid as, as sort of the, the be-all, end-all of the American effort makes very little sense in terms of Gazan civilian aid. Again, dual purpose has been the entire problem throughout this entire conflict. Meanwhile, there's a conflict that's breaking out in the U.S. Congress over how to provide Israel with aid. So on the one hand, you have the Republicans in Congress who are kind of sketchy when it comes to Ukraine aid. They're not in love with the idea of Ukraine aid with not an enormous amount of oversight. They're skeptical of what the end of that conflict is going to look like or whether additional military aid is going to allow the Ukrainians to break through Russian lines and say the Donbass and Crimea, given the fact that extraordinary resources have been poured into the country. We know a lot of the money is, is going to corrupt purposes. We also know a lot of it is going to fight the Russians. And so there are a lot more questions about what's going on in Ukraine after a year and a half of spending tens of billions of dollars in Ukraine than with regard to Israel, which has a very long historic relationship with the United States in terms of military aid and extraordinarily transparent process with the U.S. Department of Defense. So the Republicans in the House have proposed separating off that aid. They're pushing an Israel-only aid bill, according to NPR. According to NPR, on the same day House Speaker Mike Johnson took office last week, the Republican-led House passed a resolution declaring solidarity with Israel and pledging it to give government, to give its government the ability to defeat Hamas. Now they're introducing a bill aimed to do just that, but not without controversy because the bill would send $14.3 billion to Israel without addressing any funding requests for the war in Ukraine. Biden wants to use the popularity among Republicans of support for Israel in order to get them to give a bunch more money to Ukraine. Mike Johnson is saying, let's just give the money to Israel. What, what exactly does, does Israel have to do with Ukraine. He's going to fund that by cutting the IRS. So is that a good bill? Yeah, it's a bill I would certainly vote for. I'm, I'm very much in favor of that bill. I think the IRS should be cut. I think the IRS is a terrible organization. And I think the money is necessary right now in the middle of a war. So I'm, I'm very much in favor of Mike Johnson's version of the bill. Here was Mike Johnson explaining that. This Israel aid package, standalone Israel aid, the reporting is that there will be a vote hopefully Thursday. Is that the timeline you're looking that, at? That I'm hoping Thursday. And it looked like 14.5 billion is the number that you're looking at. And you suggest that maybe you'll get a bipartisan vote here. I sure hope Do so. Do you have any sense of the number of Democrats who you think might come? 
I hope that it's most or all of them. I mean, there's a few people who have philosophical differences on that and will have some intense debates about their opposition to that. But look, this is a matter of good versus evil. How is it going to be paid for? Um, we're going to be releasing that here shortly, but um, we, we, my intention and my desire in the first uh, draft of this bill is to take some of the money that has been set aside for the IRS, building and bulking up the IRS right now. They have about $67 billion in that fund, and we'll, we'll try to take the 14.5 necessary for this immediate and urgent need. We'll deal with the rest of that issue later. So Biden world is very angry about this. They want links between the Ukraine aid and the Israel aid. According to Politico, the Biden administration, Ukraine hawks in both parties are trying to break a wall of conservative resistance on Capitol Hill with a determined blitz to pass funding for the war in Ukraine and aid to Israel. In an unusual bipartisan offensive on Capitol Hill, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin on Tuesday publicly defended the administration's $106 billion request. Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell warned in a speech that threats to Israel and Ukraine are serious and intertwined, and later said conceptually he and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer are aligned. Now, it is true that Russia is backing both Iran and its proxies in this war, as well as Ukraine. Russia is a nefarious force on the world stage. They've demonstrated that over and over again. I will never understand some on the right who continue to militate in favor of the Russian government led by a dictatorial assassin in Vladimir Putin. It's astonishing to me. You can point out all the problems with Ukraine, including their corruption, including longstanding anti-Semitism in Ukraine, and also say that Vladimir Putin is one of the worst people walking the planet right now and has been involved in legitimately every major conflict, apparently, of the last several years from Africa to the Middle East in the worst possible way. Using the Wagner Group in Africa, using the Syrians in the Middle East, backing Bashar Assad. Like Vladimir Putin is a nefarious force in the world, without question. And so curbing his military abilities on all fronts is a good strategy. It's the reason why I've in the past supported aid to Ukraine, not because I love the government of Ukraine, but because I don't believe that Russia should be taking over a sovereign state. And not only that, the Russian military should be weakened. I'm very much in favor of spending American dollars to weaken the Russian military because the Russian military is using its assets in order to destabilize governments all over the globe, endangering security of America's allies and indirectly America's economy and our national security as well. So there's a case to be made. However, if you don't have the support in Congress, then you do have to separate them off. I think the backup position, by the way, for Mike Johnson is going to be to put forward a bill that does not take the money from the IRS, but does separate off Ukraine and Israel aid. That's actually smart politics, because, again, it makes the Senate now vote up or down on Israel aid alone. And that will tell a pretty big story if the Senate refuses to just give a go ahead to a passed bill with Israel aid because they want it connected with Ukraine. What they are really saying is that the Israel aid isn't important enough on its own to just pass. So that'd be a good political strategy there. Here's Chuck Schumer ripping into that strategy. The best, most efficient and fastest way to help is through bipartisanship. In fact, it's the only way. And that's why I was so deeply disappointed by Speaker Johnson's first major legislative action, a purely partisan action. House Republicans released a partisan and woefully inadequate package with no aid to Ukraine, no humanitarian assistance for Gaza, no funding for Indo-Pacific, and poison pills that help wealthy tax cheats avoid paying their fair share. Okay, so they're calling that a poison pill? So I guess that Johnson's backup step will be, okay, what if I remove the poison pill and I just move the Israel aid? That's a good strategy by Johnson, because again, he has a fractious caucus. A lot of his caucus doesn't want additional Ukraine aid. Johnson himself has voted against additional Ukraine aid a few different times. 
So it'll be interesting to see. There's, there's more. In, I think the end outcome is going to be the same, meaning Israel will end up getting the military aid because there is extraordinary support in both House of Congress and from the White House for the military aid. But it'll be interesting to see strategically how Johnson approaches that and what sort of ability he's going to have carving off what he perceives to be bad bills from good bills. All right, guys, the rest of the show is continuing right now. We'll be jumping into the mailbag. If you're not a member, become a member. Use Coach Shapiro at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us.